Welcome to Lethal Dose, your favorite toxicology-focused podcast where we delve into true crime cases involving drugs and poisons. My name is Venus Dineko. I'm a layperson fascinated by true crime. My name is Kayla Woods. I'm an author and toxicologist. Let's get started. So do you want to remind us of what we have gone over so far in this series? There, There's a lot. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't know where to even begin. There is DuPont, and they have forever chemicals mm -hmm. in everything ever. Everything. It's in the water. It's in the ground. It's in, yeah. And so far, the lawsuits have not been extremely successful. Yeah. In, yeah. I, I mean, mean, in the the tort <laughs> thing that Balot brought forward, like that seemed monumental. And still, it's like, is it, it though? <laughs> it it to me didn't seem like enough. It's definitely not enough. Yeah. It's not enough, but these chemicals are permeating everything, and they're talking about changing them, though. That's what they've agreed to, yes. and that's where we are picking up, correct? Is they're trying to revamp the chemicals. Yeah, pretty to much. To make them less dangerous, yeah. suppo supposedly. Yeah, the cat's out of the bag with this one, and so they're trying to save face. And they're doing it much in the way that you would expect them to be doing it. So... In 2006, DuPont agreed to phase out use and manufacture of C8, which, as we've said, is PFOA. Its full name is perfluorooctanoic acid. But PFAS lasts forever, hence their nickname, Forever Chemicals, which I somehow mm -hmm. forgot to call them up to this point because they just hadn't chronologically been called that. And it's like, oh, yeah, these are Forever Chemicals. Because they are in everything forever and we can't get rid of them. They're extremely bio-persistent. They are going to be around essentially forever. So last All September, right. <laughs> the EPA issued a ruling to designate both PFOS and PFOA as hazardous substances under CERCLA, which is the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act, a.k.a. the Superfund Act. But as of February 2023, this still has not been put into effect. So, And the super funds are when they agree to clean up sites, right? When sites are designated as being contaminated and the mm -hmm. EPA has money set aside a super fund for the cleanup mm -hmm. of that site. So like right. Love Canal, things like that. The state of New Jersey right, right, right. is a super fund site. <laughs> right. Um, we'll definitely cover all of that at some point but probably not this season because man this has been a downer series so far <laughs> <laughs> and as we mentioned last episode dupont and 3m had been aware of alternatives to c8 since at least the 90s but the other options were devils that we didn't know according to internal documentation hmm. since 2009 dupont and later their subsidiary company key in 2015 began using a whole new line of surfactants, which are shorter chain molecules than, than C8, which as a reminder, C8 was named because of the eight carbons on the chain of this molecule. These mm -hmm, mm -hmm. shorter chain molecules have six carbons or fewer, but are still fluorinated substances and are therefore still PFAS. But the members of the American Chemistry Council's Fluoro Council argued that the shorter chain would decrease biopersistence. The new chemical... But did they have anything that said, like, that shows this? That was, I think, just a theory that they had. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. They're like, it's it's smaller, less persistent, it shorter numbers. Down. Yeah. It should break down. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Okay. So the new chemical that DuPont is using specifically to create Teflon with now is a PFAS called Gen X, which was filed into the TSCA with 16 reports of substantial risk of injury to health or the environment, which is not good when you're entering it into the TSCA. And this included... No, and they already know about it. Like, they're willfully coming forward and saying, hey, we know this is dangerous as fuck. Right. It's dangerous to livers and kidneys, immune systems, it changes cholesterol, it affects weight gain, it causes reproductive issue issues, and it caused cancer in the lab animals that were tested. And they were just like, yeah, this this is what it did. And then the EPA was like, cool, thanks for being honest. You can use this. Like, 
like no oversight whatsoever. They're just like, yep, go ahead. Thanks for letting us know that this is destructive as fuck. Yeah. And it's just as bio-persistent, which DuPont actually did point out in 2010 marketing brochure that it was still bio-persistent. They were like, hey, it'll still last like you need it to on your Teflon, but don't worry about it getting into the water because we're going to make it so we can filter that out of the water and we're going to scrub it and then we're going to recycle it. So they're not doing anything to make it better. They're just saying we're going to filter the water. Yes. And then they didn't do that because it was discovered (laughs) to be contaminating water wells near near the Keymore plant. And so then they were like, okay, well, we'll provide everyone bottled water. Sorry. Oopsie. And then it was found in a lake a couple miles upstream of the plant. And it's like, what are you going to do about that? It's in the fucking lake now. Yeah, there's no undoing this. Yeah. There's no undoing this forever. Yeah. Fuck. Okay, so they reworked everything for nothing, essentially. Yeah, they replaced one toxic chemical with another toxic chemical. With another, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. In 2014, a document regarding the persistence and potential harm of all PFAS and emphasizing the need for further research was presented at the Dioxin Symposium in Madrid. It was signed by over 250 scientists from 38 countries and became known as the Madrid Statement. This statement was far tougher on PFAS and the current situation they had put us in than any statement put forward by regulating bodies in the United States. The scientists who signed the Madrid Statement held that, quote, some long-chain PFAS have been found to cause liver toxicity, disruption of lipid metabolism, the immune and endocrine systems, adverse neurobehavioral effects, neonatal toxicity and death, and tumors in multiple organ systems, end quote. And they also recognized associations between some specific long-chain PFAS and testicular and kidney cancers, liver malfunction, hypothyroidism, high cholesterol, ulcerative colitis, lower birth weight and size, obesity, decreased immune response to vaccines, and reduced hormone levels and delayed puberty. So some of that was what was found by the C8 science panel in the U.S., but largely I think that the research hasn't been put into it here, and so nobody's saying it. DuPont and 3M can say, well, you can't prove that there are links, whereas the Madrid statement, they're saying... Did. Yeah, we... We know With that certainty. it does this, so right. we need to do something about this. The Madrid Statement is also supported by the United Nations' Stockholm Convention, which monitors persistent organic pollutants and identified PFOS as a persistent organic pollutant in 2009. PFOA was recognized as one in 2019, and other PFAS are currently being examined for their impact. Regarding the short-chain PFAS alternatives, the Madrid Statement says, While some shorter-chain fluorinated alternatives seem to be less bioaccumulative, they are still environmentally persistent as long-chain substances or have persistent degradation products. Thus, a switch to short-chain and other fluorinated alternatives may not reduce the amount of PFAS in the environment. In addition, because of some of the shorter chain PFASs are less effective, larger quantities may be needed to provide the same performance. They also pointed out that the use of alternatives meant a greater variety of PFAS would likely end up in the environment, plants, animals, and humans. And they were right. Because, I mean, this was only signed in 2014. There's been a lot that's happened since then. They're making a deal with, like, they're making a deal with the devil. They're making it worse by trying to... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now I wanted to kind of step back and say, PFAS, where are they now? Because they're everywhere now. So where is that? (laughs) Where is everywhere? And how, where, where is the forever happening? (laughs) How long is this forever going to be happening? Exactly. (laughs) So the Balot class action suit in West Virginia against DuPont included anyone whose drinking water was found to have above 0.05 parts per billion of PFOA, and that gave 70,000 people in six water districts in that state and Ohio the ability to file in the suit. Although, and I'm not sure if I was specific enough about this last episode, Parkersburg proper was not included in the lawsuit and has was not made eligible for medical help, which is bullshit because it's the Parkersburg plant and a lot of the people that right. were filing were affected were, yeah. were the employees, right? Yeah. And the and the neighbors of the plant, yeah. Yeah. However, 
Since 2013, the EPA has found PFOA present in 94 public water systems across 27 states, affecting approximately 6.5 million Americans. While none of the averages were above the 0.05 part per billion level near the plant in West Virginia, the safe drinking water threshold has been re-examined since the lawsuit, and a 2016 paper suggested that the EPA should consider anything greater than 0.001 parts per billion to be unsafe. Using this number, there was no state that had, quote, safe drinking water on average from sample drinking water systems in a 2015 environmental working group study. Wow. The states with the worst average PFOA levels in this study were West Virginia, Colorado, and Georgia. No. (laughs) It gets so much worse. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) The levels in Colorado were actually higher than some in the water districts of the class action lawsuit, and all were taken from... Your and mine, County, El Paso County. What? Yeah, yeah, it's it's (laughs) all fuckered up. (laughs) How? Like, how? Well, to just contextualize the study, the population served by the districts in El Paso County was the highest combined population in a single state for this study. So there was like a million people in the county, and the other counties didn't have quite so many. So it's possible... That our water was contaminated by over a million people's use of nonstick cookware, waterproof clothing, historical use of Scotchgard, all of that stuff. But okay. our county has also fallen victim to one of the many, many large leaks of PFAS into community water supplies that have occurred in the last few years, courtesy of the U.S. military. Well, with us having a lot of bases here, that it's not surprising. Okay. So PFAS were first detected in the water supply of Security Widefield, Colorado in 2013, but the EWG chose to examine their water in 2015. And just to be clear, if you're looking up Security Widefield on maps or something, they're incorporated communities just south of Colorado Springs proper in the same county as us. And so if you look it up, it's just going to be a weird outskirt town, but that is what Security Widefield is. The contamination likely came from PFAS-containing aqueous film firefighting foam used since the 1970s at the Peterson Space Force Base, which is also just north of security and is upstream in terms of the flow of groundwater. In 2016, the contaminated groundwater wells in security ceased being used to allow drinking water in the region to fall in line with the 2016 EPA PFAS guidelines, which are interim guidelines that were introduced. And so they were now lower than that 0.05 part per billion that was even used in that lawsuit, but they're Mm -hmm. interim. And so they're not official yet. Gotcha. And then in 2017, an ion exchange system was installed to treat the contaminated water insecurity. Another study was conducted in the years to follow and was published last June by the CDC's Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry. In 2020, according to the ATSDR, water samples were again collected from the region, as well as blood and urine samples from 346 people living in the area who also received information on their personal results following the conclusion of the study. What they found was that the average blood levels of PFOA for people living in security was higher than the national average blood levels based on the CDC's National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey from 2015 to 2016. And this is a huge study that's conducted all over the country. So security had a higher national average of PFOA in their blood. And they believed that this was associated with a history of drinking contaminated groundwater, Although, in 2020, the groundwater readings were in compliance with the EPA safety threshold. This is fucking crazy. Like, Mm -hmm. I have a ton of family who lives in security. I knew you were going to be really upset by this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, my my grandpa, aunt and uncle, and a bunch of cousins live down there, and this is insane. And so you didn't hear about any of this testing going on through your family? No. No. Yeah. I wonder if they even knew about, like, the contamination. I, I don't know, but I'm going to be hitting up my family <laughs> and asking them, like, yeah. so uh, what's going on down there? Right. Yeah. You guys feeling okay? <laughs> yeah, everybody all right? Yeah. 
So the space forest base is not alone in contributing to the contamination of groundwater with PFAS. According to a 2018 report from the Pentagon, water at or around 401 active and base closure and realignment locations with known accidental releases of PFAS containing aqueous film firefighting foam resulted in the contamination of 564 public or private drinking water systems off base over the EPA's safety threshold. And this is since the military began using AFFF. And that's the aqueous film firefighting foam. Yes, that I keep slipping okay. over, so I'm going to call it No, AFFF. that's <laughs> that's quite the tongue twister. It's quite the tongue twister. But now I and gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It was this DOD report and the 2018 National Defense Authorization Act that allowed the CDC to study not only security wide field, but also nine other locations which had likely experienced drinking water contamination from PFAS containing firefighting foam used on domestic military installations. We only learned about these contaminations in 2022. The people who were involved, they were able to get their results sooner. But we nearly never heard about it like, it was almost totally covered up because the Trump administration and the EPA under him during his tenure attempted to suppress the reports, calling it a public relations nightmare in a series of leaked emails. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> our military installations ended up poisoning a bunch of our, like, armed forces personnel and civilians. Like, maybe let's not tell them about this. Like, what the, who, what is wrong yeah. with you? That's crazy. Yeah. But not but also not surprising. Not surprising. Yeah, disappointed, not but not surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And the Department of Defense was downplaying their assessment in their own report. By their estimates, some 175,000 troops across 24 facilities has had been exposed to PFAS-containing drinking water. However, the Environmental Working Group determined that the numbers were closer to 640,000 troops across 116 facilities, possibly more considering how long AFFF has been used on military bases for training. Despite and so, I'm sorry, was it just because were they using a lower threshold or it just was more people? Like I'm not sure whole? like why they got such completely such a wildly numbers. different number yeah, okay yeah despite the release of this report and the one by the dod there was a leak of firefighting foam as recently as november of last year which brings me to the story that made me want to talk about pfas in the first place the red hill bulk fuel storage facility consisted of 20 steel lined tanks enclosed in concrete and nestled into mines in honolulu hawaii which could hold 250 million gallons of fuel for ships and aircrafts. These tanks were constructed in 1943 and used continually through 2014 without further inspection when the first fuel spill was reported. Around 27,000 gallons of jet fuel was spilled from a tank, after which the hydrocarbon levels in the soil and nearby groundwater were found to be elevated, but the drinking water was found to be within state and federal standards. In 2021, there were two more fuel leaks. The first was a 19,000-gallon release in May. 38 were released into the environment, and the rest ended up between the storage tanks and into the suppression system fluid sump, which is where it remained until a further release upon the rupture of the pipeline in November. So this facility was just falling apart and had constant leaks. Yeah. Things were mixing together that shouldn't have been is essentially what is happening. Now, the November 2020 release consisted of a mixture of jet fuel and AFFF leaked into the freshwater aquifer beneath the island of Oahu. Mm. This aquifer supplies 25% of Oahu's drinking water, impacting 93,000 people living on the Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam and the Army's Aliamanu Military Reservation and in Red Hill Housing. Thousands of people were sickened by the spill. The contamination was so bad that people actually reported smelling petroleum vapors wafting out of their water. Holy shit, could you imagine, like, no. getting a glass of water and smelling that? Like, mm -mm. that's yeah. fucking terrifying. And you know that, like, it was contaminated before they could smell it, too. So there were people right. who were just drinking jet fuel without any knowledge. Yeah. Wow. But these reports of the smell and 
sicknesses to come were made by citizens. They were not made by the U.S. Navy, who was responsible for the spill and should have been responsible for their own reporting. Originally, when reports came in, the Navy claimed that they did not know what the origin of the smells were in the water, and the Hawaii Department of Health failed to identify jet fuel as the contaminant of the water in their original investigation, which is like, you could smell it. Like, what do you think it is? What do you think it is? Yeah. On November 22nd, they told the public that, quote, there are no signs or indication of any releases to the environment and the drinking water remains safe. Which was a total fucking lie. Yeah. People were experiencing vomiting, burning eyes, and skin rashes after contact with or ingestion of their supposedly safe drinking water. Following these kinds of reports, the Department of Health was quick to tell people to stop using their water for drinking, bathing, or cleaning. But the citizens of of Hawaii had already kind of figured that one out for themselves. Well, yeah, when you're getting burning eyes and rashes, like... Maybe stop whatever caused that. Yeah, yeah, and this was after eight days that the Department of Health finally stepped in and were like, "Hey, you shouldn't use your water." And they're like, "Yeah, we know." We yeah, know we know. <laughs> yeah, like thanks, Captain Obvious. Like... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Hawaii's State Department of Health then issued an emergency order that required the cessation of operations at the facility. So that's the Red Hill facility, and the mm-hmm. defueling of eighteen underground fuel tanks. Thousands were forced to evacuate their homes and stay in hotels for weeks. The emergency order was first issued on December 6, 2021, following an evidentiary hearing wherein it was determined that, quote, more releases from the Red Hill facility are basically inevitable and, quote, the Red Hill facility as currently configured and operated constitutes an imminent peril to human health and the safety of the environment, end quote. Another state of emergency was declared on May 6, 2022, which is like, these are pretty fucking dire statements that were. I was just going to say, these are like very strong, imminent peril. Like, yeah. that's, yeah, that's pretty significant language. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, how did we allow it to get so bad that now we're in imminent peril? Right. Families continued to sicken while they received mixed information about their tap water. Amanda Fiant and her family didn't move into military housing until early May, and even then, after they began drinking their tap water, they started to feel sick. According to a tort lawsuit filed by Fiant and three other military families against the Navy, which includes over 100 plaintiffs, military doctors denied toxicology testing, and the military was generally quiet about safety protocols. She eventually had to withdraw her children from daycare, which used the same water, and move her family into a hotel. Even after they were reassigned to Colorado, her husband still experienced internal bleeding and GI issues, which they are having a difficult time paying his medical bills to treat. Wow. On March 7th, 2022, the U.S. Secretary of Defense announced that Red Hill would be permanently defueled and shut down. But as of August, the facility had yet to be defueled. After the wells contaminated by Red Hill were shut down, a dry spell sent the island into a drought. Residents were being encouraged to try to use 10% less water on an island with limited resources and few ways to get more. So just taking a shitty situation and and it it just gets shittier. Yeah, this is crazy. And then it gets worse. (laughs) Of course it does. It never gets better on this show, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, and those in betwixt. It does not get better ever. (laughs) So (laughs) tell me. Where do we go from here? (laughs) On November 29th, 2022, there was another spell. This time, yeah, this time it was a little different because it was 1,300 gallons of AFFF. So it was more of the PFAS. Right. Yeah. And this was released in an uncontained leak into the soil outside of the Red Hill facility. The one that should have already been shut down. Yes. Yes. By this point in time. Yep. Mm -hmm. Totally. And this spill occurred a mile away from a closed drinking water well. And so the Navy claimed that there was no evidence of drinking water contamination because the nearest well in service was six miles away. Because, you know, apparently they haven't been reading up on all this shit like they should. You and I know that that doesn't mean anything. Right. According to a Hawaii environmental official named Kathleen Ho, the spill was egregious and, quote, groundwater contamination could be devastating to the aquifer below. And Hope was right. Hope was absolutely right. 
The Navy, however, was able to maintain their position on the drinking water and it being safe because soil testing of the impacted area revealed that the PFAS levels, specifically PFOS and PFOA, were below the Hawaii Department of Health's threshold for safety of PFAS levels. Because the laboratory which tested the results had a limit of detection of 2,000 parts per trillion, no results were reported. Mm. However, 2,000 parts per trillion of PFOS is 100,000 times greater than the interim drinking water advisory levels established by the EPA the previous June, June of 2022. And... This interim level was what I referred to earlier as not quite mm-hmm. being established yet, but they were also starting to look at the Gen X PFAS. So basically everything has significantly lower levels now. And they're saying, well, they're interim levels, so we don't have to follow those. Everything is fine. <sighs> Similarly, tests on groundwater have been conducted on instrumentation and with methods that cannot quantify below 340 parts per trillion. But values for PFAS were detected in an estimated range of 50 to 230 parts per trillion. And these numbers were found during the most recent analysis prior to this recording, which was January 13th, 2023. And these values are significantly higher than the interim safety levels. Like it was already bad, got worse, got worse. Like it, this could have been prevented it at could, multiple yeah. stages. Yeah, yeah, it really could have. Congress has ordered the DOD to phase out PFAS-containing firefighting foam by October of this year and establish a cleanup plan. But I personally don't have high hopes for them meeting these demands since they've already missed a deadline for submitting a plan for PFAS cleanup at military installations. And I mean, they weren't right. able to... They were not on the ball. Yeah, they weren't able to defuel Red Hill. Like, they're not really invested in this. No, they're 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 saying they're invested because they know that there's a problem, mm-hmm. but they're not delivering. Like the their actions are not matching their statements. Yeah, yeah, totally. And of course, like the main issue I wanted to address when like this this is what I wanted to cover on the whole for PFAS. Like this is where I dove in, and then I started to research, and I was like, there is so much more to this right. PFAS story. <laughs> but, <laughs> but so like the main thing I wanted to say is like. There's a military occupation of Hawaii, and, you know, it should be its own country. It shouldn't be an American state. Like, the fact that Pearl Harbor is there at all is fucked up. The fact that Pearl Harbor is leaking jet fuel into their water is fucked up. Like, but that's a whole separate issue. It's related, you know, because the the Navy created the firefighting foam with 3M. They developed that together. But now Mm. they're trying to, like, pass the buck, and they're like, well, you created it. Like, you created it it's, for us. It's your fault. Yeah, yeah, even though we are the ones who used it, we were the consumer. It's mm-hmm. your fault it's for your making fault. it. Yeah. But beyond that, the military's involvement has obviously not been good. And they haven't always been forthcoming, which is not at all surprising. And the first known fuel release from the storage facility was in 1947, just four years after it was built. But the first reported spill was in 1988. So... They've been spilling into the Hawaii aquifer for decades. For decades, yeah. Also, there is evidence that the military intentionally withheld information from the EPA and the Hawaii Department of Health based on recent reporting that detailed a previously unannounced release of 5,000 gallons of AFFF (sighs) containing liquid in September of 2020. What the fuck? The trial for the tort lawsuit against the Navy is not set to begin until January of 2024. But in the meantime, there is another lawsuit related to AFFF that is supposed to go to trial next month, this month once this is released, so March of 2023. The company which manufactured the foam that was patented by the Navy was 3M. They lost their immunity against lawsuits as a government contractor in September of 2022, and this trial is a single consolidated effort to bring the claims from over 2,000 cases against the company. Mm. It includes suits by the states of New York, Ohio, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and New Mexico, as well as 3,300 individual plaintiffs. As of right now, 3M is facing legal fees of around $40 billion, which is approximately two-thirds of the company's worth, and that doesn't even consider the possible $35 billion in remediation costs and $5 billion in possible medical monitoring and property damage claims that could result from this giant multi-district litigation. So this is a huge deal. It's enormous. I mean, my hope is that this could absolutely bankrupt them. Yeah, 
Because, I mean, the other lawsuit, you know, everything else. It was a drop in the bucket. Total drop in the bucket. But this could really do some damage to them. One of the original plaintiffs in this suit is an Ohio civilian firefighter by the name of Kevin Hardwick, who worked as a firefighter for 40 years and during that time was repeatedly exposed to AFFF in the line of work. He was able to get another class certification in his suit to file a class action lawsuit with the help of none other than Rob Ballot. Hey, Hey. welcome back, Rob. (laughs) Ballot seemed to be taking the same strategy with this case as with the Leach case in West Virginia and is not suing for cash, but is attempting to make 3M create a science panel similar to the C8 science panel that DuPont was forced to fund. So, I don't know. I think that that's pretty good because last time it was able to... I mean, as few people as it did help, it helped so many more than it would have if they would have just paid cash to the direct people, you know? Right. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know who will, it will impact, but hopefully that this, the class that they got is just everybody who's ever been exposed to that firefighting foam, Mm -hmm. especially because as of right now, the VA doesn't recognize the medical claims of veterans who were exposed to AFFF, including kidney and testicular cancer, which the C8 science panel already created a link between, you know. Saying this causes that. Yeah, PFAS, we know that there is an association. And the VA is like, well, you can't say that you you got that in the line of duty. Because of, right. So they are focusing right now on changing the composition of firefighting foam, but they seem like they're just totally dead set on using those short-chain PFAS replacements that DuPont 3M have suggested, and as of 2018, have already spent $10.8 million replacing and incinerating the old AFFF just to put the short-chain stuff in it. Like, you're spending $10.8 million to do nothing. Because, yeah, literally nothing. Like, it's not better in any way. And in some ways, it's worse because you might have to use more. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, all right. The good thing is that they won't be able to rely on 3M for the short channel alternatives much longer because ahead of the March court date, 3M agreed in December of 2022 that they would discontinue the manufacturing use of fluoropolymers as well as fluorinated fluids and PFAS chemicals by the end of 2025. So That's something. Yeah, 3M is at least like kind of backing out of the game. I mean... Hopefully they'll get bankrupted by this whole thing because they have done so much fucking damage. So much damage, yeah. Yeah. But ahead of that time, however, many states have already banned PFAS-containing foam and other products and have established limits on drinking water. But as we've seen, the limits don't necessarily reflect what the EPA has now established to be a safe level under the scrutinous eye of the public, and the efforts of states are not consolidated on a federal level. So... There's room for errors and there's room for confusion in enforcement, especially with, like, interstate travel of commerce and goods and all sure. of that. PFAS aren't just forever chemicals that last forever in one place. They're everywhere. So they started out in Minnesota and West Virginia, but they're everywhere now. PFOA has been found in Atlantic salmon, Alaskan polar bears, California sea lions, and albatrosses that live in a wildlife refuge in the middle of the North Pacific Ocean. Wow. Because of the persistence of these forever chemicals, they are not diluted when they are dumped into rivers or lakes or oceans. Rather, it's been confirmed that they end up in the water cycle. PFAS can travel thousands of miles via sea spray, are taken up into clouds by evaporation of water, and return to Earth in places that we never originally expected them to end up in because of precipitation. That is so fucking frightening. In August of 2022, Stockholm University announced that, quote, based on the latest U.S. guidelines for PFOA in drinking water, rainwater everywhere would be judged unsafe to drink. Oh, my God. This was based on findings from a study that analyzed the levels of PFAS in rainwater in such remote locations as Antarctica and the Tibetan Plateau. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to be such a bummer. Wow. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's really... It's it's, bad. It's really bad. And it should come as no surprise, then, that even before the rainwater study, consumer reports found contamination of bottled and sparkling water in 2020. 
Tourmaline Spring and Deer Park were the only two non-carbonated water brands in the study with PFAS levels in excess of one part per trillion, which was within FDA regulations then, although all brands had detectable levels of PFAS. I don't want everyone to get super bummed out, but in 2020, it was detected across the board in all of the brands that they looked at. Wow. As for carbonated water, which is the way that I stay hydrated in my meat suit, <laughs> Topo Chico, Polar, Bubbly, Poland Spring, Canada Dry, LaCroix, and Perrier <gasps> all had levels above one part per trillion. No! <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was really bummed out when I read it too. I was like, no, that's, that's how I stay hydrated. All of those things. <laughs> this report did note, however, that if there were some with lower levels of PFAS, that it was possible for all suppliers to de decrease their levels of PFAS by changing their source water or improving filtration processes. As far as I know, this study has not been repeated. It was only two years ago and the guidelines haven't changed. And I, I don't know why they would change, but I mean, maybe, maybe they have because now there's this, you know, we study have our out eyes there. on them, yeah. Right, right, And right. the interim recommendations are supposed to be finalized in October of this year. So maybe it's safe. It's just we don't, we can't we expect don't. that it is. No. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> are you okay if I keep going? Because it just gets worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Yep, yep, yep. Just keep it coming. Right, keep it coming. Let's, let's unload. preparing ourselves. Yep, I am. I am. <laughs> The, La the LaCroix is out. Let's go. Keep it going. <laughs> Given the extent of PFAS in water, people are probably a little confused if they've heard about the new lawsuits against the Simply Tropical and Bolt House Farms drinks. And Simply Tropical is that juice brand that's owned by Coca-Cola. Basically, this class action lawsuit is trying to fill in the gaps in FDA enforcement of PFAS safety thresholds since neither they nor the EPA are working expeditiously to, to protect consumers. The suit alleges that the packaging essentially lies to consumers by being labeled as simply natural or 100% fruit juice when there are detectable levels of contamination from a synthetic compound. Mm, so like they're saying that because there's PFAS in there, you can't say that this is 100% fruit juice. Yeah, yeah. So gotcha. It's, the labeling is incorrect. Gotcha. In the case of the Simply Drink, they also list filtered water as an ingredient, which consumers could take to mean is safe from toxic compounds like PFAS. And so I do think that it's a little bit of a low-hanging fruit, but what they're trying to do is establish a precedence in food safety. And there's also this mm -hmm. expectation of safety from products which are marketed with language like simply and natural and organic. And so that's where they're going right. with these ones specifically. Gotcha. And I think that this is also how period underwear maker Thinks ended up in a class action lawsuit that reached a settlement at the end of 2022. Thinks told the New York Times that, quote, PFAS has never been part of our product design, end quote, and that PFAS were not added to the underwear, but they were another company which marketed their product as organic, sustainable, and non-toxic. Now, I personally am a little bit more skeptical, skeptical about their involvement with the chemicals mm -hmm. in their products because the lawsuit against them claimed that they had to have known about the PFAS in the crotch of the underwear or added it themselves intentionally because the PFAS is what would have enabled the underwear to absorb blood and still feel dry to a wearer. So mm, this one to mm -hmm. me, like the juice is like, sure, you could have been more careful about filtering your water and testing it. But this but is more like, I think you like, added you, that. You knew. Yeah. Yeah. And the C8 science panel already linked exposure to preeclampsia in pregnancy, and PFAS have also been recognized by independent researchers to be a potential endocrine disruptor and may be linked to period irregularities and ovarian disease. Direct contact with the vagina would be rightfully concerning then. Yeah, yeah. And it's not limited to just these clothes, of course. Many large clothing brands like Shein, Lululemon, Old Navy, REI, Columbia, and L.L. Bean have been found to contain PFAS. The outdoor brands, I think, are less surprising because PFAS have been used for a long time sure. to create water for resistance. For the water resistance. Right. But the ubiquity of the findings, I think, is a cause for concern, as well as the fact that we don't know what the impact of dermal exposure to PFAS is. 
With exercise gear, I would guess that there's a good chance that sweating would increase our exposure to the chemicals, and with all of them washing the clothes, we'll obviously increase PFAS in our water supply. Sure. Beyond clothing, a consumer study was conducted on 46 different kinds of menstrual and incontinence pads and found that 48% of them contained PFAS. This same consumer researcher also had tampons analyzed and found that of the products examined, 22% of them contained PFAS. <laughs> Many of these products were similarly marketed as Thinks and Simply Juice, which is that they were natural or organic. Given the recent class action lawsuits, we could see movement here, but as of yet, there has been no major legal action taken. Well, and even if they have to get rid of the label of organic, natural, etc., mm -hmm. are they still going to continue to have PFAS in them? I would hope that however they lawyer about it, that it has to, like, they get have to, to be removed together. But if that, they are, that would be nice. Yeah, if they are going out after them for the label, though, like they could easily just be like, oh, well, we'll just take that off the label then. But right, exactly. Like that's what I'm worried about is that they just have to take it off the label and not get rid of the issue at, itself. I don't know. I don't know. They could yeah. do that, but I mean, I think having it be like organic and natural is a marketing ploy so that they can charge more. So. They might see an increase in sales if they decide to do like the environmentally friendly thing, or they might see mm. an increase in sales just because they dropped their price, dropped organic, and now it's in every man's right. Stage, you know? Right, right, right. I have no idea. An independent study found that PFAS were present in cosmetics produced by major <sighs> brands available in the U.S. and Canada in 2021. Nothing is safe. Nothing is Nothing safe. Nothing is safe. <laughs> the most commonly contaminated products were waterproof mascara, foundation, and liquid lipstick. The most common indicator that a product would contain a PFAS was if it was labeled as wear-resistant, long-lasting, or waterproof. Which, like, <laughs> every mascara I buy is waterproof. <laughs> <laughs> well, not I don't do waterproof mascara, but I do long-lasting and wear-resistant lipsticks. Ugh. So all like all of mine are, and now I'm just like, oh, I've just been slathering it right on the yep. mouth hole. Right, nice. just let me eat some just, of that, <laughs> and well, and just let it sit there on my lips for eight to twelve hours a right. day. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Okay, cool. So if they're in water and juice and clothes and cosmetics, they're going to be in food. And not just processed food that is packaged in PFAS leaching containers. In 2017, the FDA tested foods in the mid-Atlantic region of the United States and found trace amounts of PFAS in pineapples and sweet potatoes. Amounts which exceeded those early drinking water levels were also detected in turkey, steak, hot dogs, lamb chops, chicken, tilapia, cod, salmon, shrimp, and catfish. The highest levels they found in this particular study of 90 samples was actually in chocolate cake. <laughs> I mean, there's no established levels for food intake, but I will say that depending on where they got this fish, there might be some safety levels because after the contamination in Minnesota, a lot of the surrounding lakes had to do like daily intake levels of the fish. And so they would say, you know, mm. you can only eat this fish if you catch it, you can only have like one a week and that's what's considered safe. Wow, okay. Both long-chain and short-chain PFAS have been found in produce grown near manufacturing plants, as well as the dairy cows that eat some of that produce and make milk for human consumption. The FDA studied one such farm in 2019 and analyzed the water, animal feed, and dairy products. What they found was that all of the samples showed PFAS levels that were concerning to human health, and all of the milk from the farm had to be discarded. <sighs> They also determined that after 30 days of eating or drinking contaminated feed and water, a dairy cow would need a year and a half for the PFAS to be out of their system. Oh my god. So, after all of this, it should not be surprising to know that PFAS chemicals have been found in 99.7% of all Americans' blood, according to a 2007 study that everyone still quotes despite it being over 15 years old. Levels of some PFAS are decreasing, but slightly. According to a 2019 study, PFAS samples were present in the blood of 98% of all Americans. Not much better. Not much better. 
Not much better. And this may, might make some of the ongoing litigation with 3M and other PFAS producers more difficult because the VA is already pointing out how if everyone has PFAS in their blood, mm. how can veterans blame exposure to AFFF mm. for their mm. sicknesses? And I think that they're probably going to have to deal with this like we deal with lead or arsenic. Like, yes, it's in the soil. Yes, it's in trace amounts in food. But, you know, for developing babies, for example, there's no safe amount of lead. And like for us, there's no safe amount of lead. But for these at-risk populations, we really need to have something on drinking water and milk to make sure that mm -hmm. our total daily intake isn't in excess, you know? Right. And yet, companies like 3M and DuPont refuse to take responsibility. 3M maintains that they, quote, acted responsibly in connection with products containing PFAS, which is like a <sighs> fucking joke after hearing <laughs> Yeah, everything. that's a joke. <laughs> yeah, that's a joke. It's got to be a joke. They also stated that, quote, AFFF was a critical tool developed to serve an important need for military service members and other responders. And like, yeah, it was an important tool. We've had lots of important tools that have turned out to be not so great, and you still have to take responsibility for that. Right. Just be just because it's important doesn't mean that it's not deadly. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like <laughs> a lot of unintended consequences, like deal with yeah. it. So the Madrid statement of 2015 had several calls to action for scientists, governments, and chemical and product manufacturers. They said more investigation into toxicity and exposure is needed for known and novel PFAS. Governments need to enforce the need for testing and regulation and need to make all information collected public and that there must be collaboration for the destruction and disposal of PFAS. More important, however, is the need to reduce the use of PFAS and to find non-fluorinated alternatives that are known to be non-toxic and non-persistent. And not these, like, we think that they're non-persistent, but, like... But we know that it's not, so... Yeah. But yeah. we're going to use it anyway. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> the European Union proposed a ban on all PFAS in January of 2023 that would end the production, use, and sale of approximately 10,000 PFAS in the 27 countries of the EU, which still has exceptions, and an 18-month implementation window beginning likely no sooner than 2026. But this is still far more reaching than proposals in the United States, probably because we love late stage capitalism. And this proposal seriously pisses off the chemical companies that say not all PFAS are created equal and should be treated mm. equal. Mm -hmm. But it's not like the United States is doing absolutely nothing. We're just doing it slowly and considerably less aggressively. Mm. So following that study on cosmetics, the No PFAS and Cosmetics Act was introduced in the Senate which would require the FDA to completely ban PFAS in all cosmetics in the U.S. But it would appear that as of 2023, this bill has not been taken to vote. Mm. Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility and the Center for Environmental Health are also trying to fill in the gaps in FDA regulations to protect consumers. In December of 2022, they filed a lawsuit against Enhance, a company which produces plastic food containers that recent research found contained PFAS that leached into food at extremely high levels. The court filings also show, unsurprisingly, that the EPA and the FDA both knew about the contamination caused by these products, and in fact, the EPA issued a violation notice in March 2022 to Enhance to immediately cease production until the contamination issues were handled, but they did not alert the public to the possible danger. No legal limits have been set for PFAS in food, but this case could potentially set a precedent that would force safe threshold limits or ban the use of PFAS in food packaging altogether. As one of the Stockholm University researchers, Professor Martin Schreinger, who was on the rainwater study in 2022, said, quote, it makes sense to define a planetary boundary specifically for PFAS, end quote. And even though he does remark that the boundary for safety has already been exceeded, this is something that we globally need to address. Well, it sounds like it. Like, yeah. I think that globally is is a great way of putting it, the, how it needs to be handled, because it's literally everywhere. Like, yeah. The, yeah, we really got to work together on this one. I mean, even, a little bit. <laughs> even like trying to have individual states do their own thing isn't, it's not going to be Isn't enough. going to work. Yeah. It's not, no. And like, you know, 
there's things that like individuals can do and I don't want to put the onus on individuals because it's not our fault like we weren't dumping it into the you know into Cape Fear into or whatever groundwater. Like, yeah but there right. is stuff that like we can do as individuals to try to reduce at least our personal exposure if we can so you know you can encourage family and friends to stop buying Teflon and Gore-Tex and all the things that we know contain short chain and possibly long chain PFAS but like I don't know that's kind of all you can do really is like stop buying it if you know about it but it's like if it's in fast fashion like you're I know it's a pain in the ass to have to be like oh has this fast fashion like brand been found to have PFAS in them or whatever right and then like you know if you are living in security like you can go tell your family Venus that like (laughs) they can install a water filter I think even one of those pitcher water filters is fine because according to the Minnesota Department of Health granular activated carbon filters are sufficient to reduce PFAS. Okay. okay. And I mean, the reverse osmosis filters are too, but those are like you install them in your house. Like that's kind of right. a financial commitment. That's a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say that with those granular activated carbon filters, there's going to be some sort of threshold limit. So if they're living in a place that has suspected or known high groundwater contamination, they might want to replace it more frequently or mm-hmm. something like that. They might still see breakthrough, but it's it could be better than nothing if they're not being supplied, like, drinking sure. water, you know? Sure. But, you know, maybe the thing we need to do is this. You know, maybe we should talk to the Swifties who took on Ticketmaster and all of those <laughs> yes. basic bitches who went to Starbucks and were like, change the pumpkin spice latte to have actual pumpkin in it. And those, those things changed. It worked. So, it worked. You know? So we just need... All of the white women in the world to band <laughs> together and actively cry aloud yeah. about the PFAS that are forever destroying yeah. our environment and our bodies. Yeah. Take your angry white energy and focus it on something good. Down with PFAS. Down with PFAS. Fuck everything. I don't even know. Forever. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> everything is forever fucked. <laughs> Is that how we want to end it? (laughs) Yeah, okay. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and review us everywhere you get your podcasts. For more Lethal Dose content, you can find us at Lethal Dose Pod on Instagram, Tumblr, and TikTok. For an overdose of content, subscribe on Patreon for exclusive episodes and much more. The show theme is Look Far by our dear wizard friend Fogweaver. More of their music can be found on bandcamp.com. Lethal Dose is created, researched, produced, and edited by Kayla Woods and Venus Dainenko. Stay safe and remember, the dose makes the poison. <laughs>